by him this man stands before you hold. Nor is there salvation in any other name. There is no other name but Jesus under heaven given by men which must be saved. If, if we come in here this morning and we do anything else besides point people to Jesus, then there's no point in being here. If my life does not point people to Jesus, then what's the point? If your life doesn't point people to Jesus, would you pray with me this morning? God, this morning we are humbled at the reality of what Scripture teaches us. That we were not redeemed by man or man-made things. We were redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus. It was His body that was broken. It was His blood that was shed so that I can have forgiveness of sins, so that I can have a restored relationship with God, my Creator, so that I can have eternal life in the presence of God. Lord, I pray this morning that as we open up your word, that you would challenge us today, that you would speak into us today. Lord, that you would open our hearts right now. Lord, we've walked in here this morning, I know, with a lot of things on our mind. Lord, may those things go away. May we focus on your word, your truth, what you want us to hear today. And Lord, may our lives point people to Jesus. Lord, it is in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated this morning. Glenn, we're, we're glad that you chose to worship with us today. And I hope that you guys have had a great week. And uh, how many of you enjoyed some of the, the great weather we had this week? Got out and did something, right? And of course, we got a lot of rain the last couple of weeks or so, but we, uh, we need the rain. I was reminded today that um, in a few months we'll be begging for rain. So let's enjoy it while it's here. Um, quick question. Would anybody like a Snickers bar? Anybody like a Snickers bar? You think I can throw it that far? It's, it's a really small one. I see girls dodging. Wow. Give Emma a hand. What a catch. All right. But I, but I have a bigger one. Would anyone like the bigger candy bar? I'm afraid I'm going to hit somebody. Uh, Jimmy. I, I can hear Jimmy right there. All right. Very. Jimmy, could you tell us what the back of that candy bar says? What's the other side say? <laughs> satisfies. Can I get an amen for Snickers that satisfies? How many of you love a Snickers bar? How many want the bigger Snickers bar? That's for me. Y'all don't need this. Satisfies. This, so the truth, does the, Snickers, does the Snickers really satisfy you? Temporarily, right? How many of you could eat a couple of these Snickers bars? I'm going to give you some complete confession, honesty before you this morning. Um, so I have a couple more of these small ones here. Now, how many of you are like me? You would never break down and buy a whole big candy bar like this and eat it. How many of you just you've never you would never do that? I I, I don't remember the last time I bought either a regular size candy bar like Jimmy got. Or a king size, I guess is what this would be considered. I, I don't remember the last time that I bought a candy bar and eaten it. 
because it just seems really sinful. <laughs> like, that's bad. I cannot do that. But, but, if there's a bowl of these laying around, I will eat like 30 of them. Like, I will eat five big candy bars worth of little candy bars because for some reason that's not so sinful, right? All right. The truth is, I, I looked this up, I think it was in like 1986 when the Snickers came out with this ad, Satisfies You. Now they've kind of, they, they still use that, it's still on all their marketing, but now they've kind of moved to the, you know, the hangry part, like if you're not yourself, right, eat a Snickers. The question on your outline, so get your bulletin out this morning, I want you to follow along and get a pen, take some notes, get your Bible, if you're on the YouVersion Bible app, follow along on there, Nathan is so great to put our notes on there every week. Um, but follow along. You need, you need to follow with us. I think it's good for you to write notes uh, there either on your iPad or your iPhone or whatever device you have or in the bulletin there. And the question that we're going to try to answer this morning that really um, I can't, uh, the, the truth is you're going to have to answer this for yourself. You're going to have to answer this question for yourself. I can't answer it for you. I can point you to some things that I think maybe should be your answer, but you're going to have to answer the question for yourself. And the question there is, what satisfies you? What satisfies you? And the reality is, in our world today, we, um, we try to find satisfaction. Another song just came to mind, but we won't sing that. We try to find satisfaction. You guys are singing it now too, right? And so many other things that are just like the Snickers bar. Because what the world has to offer us as far as satisfaction or fulfillment is only what? Temporary. God is the one who can have eternal fulfillment and satisfaction in. So we're in this series, The Promise, and this is our third week in the series. So maybe you've just jumped in with us. You haven't been a part of the first two weeks, and I'll try to catch you up real quickly. We're walking through the Old Testament tabernacle. And pointing to the fact that in the Old Testament tabernacle, the furnishings all point to Jesus Christ. And so Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of these Old Testament, the Old Testament tabernacle furnishings. And so the first week we looked at the whole part of the tabernacle, which is kind of an overview of the tabernacle. And we really kind of summarized that week into one, one statement. Um, so turn, or get your bulletin out. It's right there in your bulletin. This statement is under week one. It says this, God went from being among his people in a place to beside his people in a person, right? So God went from among his people in a place, which is the tabernacle we're referencing here, to beside his people in a person, Jesus Christ, when he came to earth. He became flesh and dwelt among us. He dwelled, tabernacled with us to in his people, the temple. In other words, what Paul said is now we as believers, we are the temple of God. And the Holy Spirit dwells or tabernacles in us. Isn't that amazing? What, what um, Ben was saying there about the fact that we can die to sin because we, can, we have the power of the resurrection, the power of God in us. And I'm going to ask it again, and I'm hoping you're going to answer a little, a little more this time. Isn't that amazing? God lives in me. My body is the temple 
of God. The, the second thing we looked at last week was the bronze laver. Uh, and the bronze laver talks about the cleansing or sanctification. So we, we bypass. Let me throw up real quick this picture of the, of the tabernacle. And it kind of really quickly will show you. There's three sections, three segments here of the, the uh, tabernacle. And again, tabernacle and temple can be used interchangeable. Most often tabernacle would reference when it was mobile for about 600 years. Uh, they were mobile and they, they used the tabernacle until King Solomon built the temple. The same thing, really, but tabernacle, temple, interchangeable. Tabernacle most often referred to mobile, and temple being the structure that Solomon built. But they had the exact same things and the exact same purpose. We, the first week, we talked about that entrance gate there, you see, that Jesus is the gate. Remember Jesus said in John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except by me. He's the gate. He's how we get to God, just like it was in the Old Testament. We're bypassing the altar of burnt offerings because we're going to, come back to that on Palm Sunday. I want to encourage you to, to already begin planning for Palm Sunday. Be here Palm Sunday. Bring somebody with you. We have a, a special Good Friday service at 7 o'clock on Good Friday. It's going to be a great opportunity to worship and also to have communion together. And then, of course, April 1st is Easter. But last week, we bypassed the altar burnt offerings and we talked about the laver. And so what we would see here in the altar burnt offerings is where the sacrifice for, for sins was made. Okay, and the sacrifice for sins is where we would get this word where we as believers now are justified or justification. It's that big church word, right, that simply means not guilty. I've been declared not guilty because I've been to the altar of burnt offerings. Right, we're going to talk a lot about that on Palm Sunday. The labor, which we talked about last week, again, comes after, so you see the progression here, that you have to go to the altar of burnt offerings and be declared righteous or to be declared justified before you can go to the labor and then the labor was representing Jesus the word of God the word of God John 1 14 became flesh and what dwelt among us and as I look into the word of God and I see Jesus then it reveals to me what I need to cleanse and we talked about those two words justification sanctification on your outline there you, you see this Really one summary sentence. God didn't just save you from something. He sanctifies you for something. In other words, the cleansing at the labor was a sanctification for the priest to go into the temple, into the holy place, and serve the Lord. We come to the word of God to be sanctified so that we can do what? Serve the Lord. All right, so turn to Exodus chapter 25. Exodus chapter 25. Exodus chapter 25, and you can read really uh, Exodus 25 and, and through chapters 30 and on that, that really reference a lot of information about what we're getting. You can even look at the different furnishings that we're walking through. But in Exodus chapter 25, we're going to take a second to, to reread verses 1, 2, and verse number 8 of Exodus chapter 25. It says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, that they may bring me an offering from everyone who gives it willingly. With the heart, you shall take my offering. All right, so Moses gets a word from God, take an offering. Okay, and why are we taking the offering? Well, the answer is in verse number 8. Let them make me a sanctuary, we're again talking about the tabernacle, that I may, what's the next word there? Dwell. Dwell. That I may dwell, and again, an interchangeable word there is tabernacle. That I may dwell, or tabernacle, among them. 
So God is saying he wants to relate with his people. And we see this pattern in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Old Testament, God redeemed them. He brought them out of Egypt 50 days later. He revealed himself on Mount Sinai to Moses. And then here, a year later, he asked him to build the temple so that he can relate with his people. A holy God cannot relate with sinful man unless there is a mediator. And so he has provided through the tabernacle a way for the people to communicate with God so he can dwell among his people. New Testament, Jesus died on the cross to redeem us. Fifty days later, at the day of Pentecost, God revealed himself to the, the Holy Spirit. And so why did he do that? So he can relate to us. So that he can live and dwell in us. So today we're going to look at the table of showbread. So look, we're in Exodus chapter 25. You may have to turn one page. We're going to look at verse 23. Exodus chapter 25, verse 23. So God gives Moses instructions. You shall also make a table of acacia wood. Two cubits shall be its length, a cubit its width, and a cubit and a half its height. You shall overlay it with pure gold. Make a molding of gold all around. You shall make it for a frame of handbreadth all around, and you shall make a gold molding for the frame all around. You shall make for it four rings of gold, and put the rings on the four corners that are at the four legs. The rings shall be close to the frame as holders for the poles to bear the table. You shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them gold, that the table may be carried with them. You shall make its dishes, its pans, its pitchers, its bowls for pouring. You shall make them of pure gold. You shall set the showbread on the table before me always. That last verse, verse 30. What is, what is God telling Moses? You shall set this table of showbread before me always. This table is going to this this table of bread is going to represent the presence of God. God's presence in this holy place. This this idea that God is dwelling with his people. It's interesting, so what would happen on the Sabbath, so there, there's 12 pieces of bread right here. Would anybody like a piece of bread? It's been sitting here all night, that might change your mind. 12 pieces of bread, and what do you suppose that there's two stacks of six, what do you suppose these two stacks of six that, for you math guys out there, equal 12, are supposed to represent? The 12 tribes of Israel, right? So God is dwelling with the 12 tribes, his people. And on Sabbath, the priests would come in, and they would leave the bread on Sabbath. They would come back the next Sabbath, and they would have baked 12 fresh loaves, unleavened bread for Passover, and they would lay the fresh bread on the table. They would take the old bread from the table, and they would eat. Leaving the fresh bread for who? God. And they would partake of the bread. They would break and bless and eat the bread. The pierced bread, as it would say. Baked, pierced bread. And what, what do you suppose this bread represents? Jesus. We'll show you in a minute. That was kind of greasy. I didn't realize it was going to be that way. Point number one in your bulletin. So hopefully you got your bulletin already out. We're taking notes. Number one. The bread was a symbol of God's provision. The symbol of God's provision. So 
It's interesting that at this table where they would eat every Sabbath, if you're going to eat at the table and you look at this table, okay, this obviously this is not an exact replica. Don't don't think that, all right? But it's kind of the similar in size. What's missing from the table if we're going to eat? Okay, so let me give you a hint. Uh, we don't have all the pictures and all that because they're going to pour things over and all that. But just, so not utensils, but what, what's missing from this table if we're going to eat? Somebody's saying it, they not saying it loud enough. All right, so I'm going to do what if I go to the table? Oh, I can't get up, right? A chair. And theologians would say the reason there was no chair is because the priests would be the only ones in here, and the priest's job is never what? Finished. Why is the priest's job never finished? Because you people keep sinning. We people keep sinning. And so day after day, week after week, they would go to the burnt offering, make a sacrifice for sins. They would wash themselves, cleanse themselves for service. So they could go eat in the presence of God. And we'll get to it later and pray on behalf of the people. And their job was never done, was it? Sacrifice, cleansing, job continues. It never was finished. Or, or was it finished? So the priests would come in and their job was never finished. After making the sacrifice of sins, there was always a need for another sacrifice and another need for another sacrifice. What did Jesus say when he hung on the cross? What, what was the words that he would speak? It is finished. And where is Jesus now? Standing at the right hand of God? Or what? He's seated. Why is he seated? Because it is finished. We read the scripture in Romans 6, I believe, that Ben put on the screen. The once for all sacrifice, Jesus. The work on the cross is complete. Isn't that amazing? What God has done for us. And this bread would symbolize. And so even looking at the table, there was symbolism of the table. And, and pretend like this is covered in gold, all right? And the, and the wood here, it says acacia wood, another known uh, another name for that piece of wood or a descriptive name for that kind of wood in that time was incorruptible wood. Why do you suppose God wanted them to use incorruptible word, or wood? Because it represented Jesus, right? It, so it was incorruptible wood, but what was it covered in or what was overlaid on the wood? Gold. And so these two symbols, wood, which would symbolize humanity or earth, gold would represent deity or God. Royalty and deity. Who would come to the earth that may represent fully man, wood, fully God, gold? Jesus. Jesus was fully God and he was fully man. Let, let me read a statement for you regarding uh, this table and the humanity of God and the humanity of Christ. Jesus is a mediator between God and man. In order to mediate two parties, he must of necessity partake of both. He must be divine to represent God to man, 
yet he must be human to represent man to God. The gold and the wood come together in the table to represent our Savior, Jesus. On your outline there, just, just fill in some blanks. This word, to show, to tell forth, or to declare. And Jesus showed himself and declared himself to be what? The Messiah. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except by me. In our passage in John 6, we're going to read in a moment, he said, I am the bread of life. Jesus showed himself, he declared himself, and then he told the disciples to do what? To also show people Jesus and to declare Jesus. That we just read in Acts chapter number 3. The one, Jesus, whom you crucified, the one that Pilate was willing to let go, Acts chapter 3, but you hung him on a tree. And there's no other name in heaven, Acts chapter 4, whereby men must be saved except by the name of Jesus. The second part there, right, right below that, show bread. What does this bread mean? It literally means the bread of presence. Not like gifts, presence, but presence, right? His presence of God is in this place. And so the, this bread pictured the presence of God. It also pictured the provision of God, as we've already stated. This bread also had another memory for the nation of Israel as they would look back. Look at Exodus chapter 16. Turn a few pages back to Exodus chapter 16. And in Exodus chapter 16, we're going to begin reading verse number 4, but before we get to verse number 4, I'll give you a little bit of background. You haven't been, they haven't been long uh, been freed from the nation of Egypt and being slaves, remember? And, and, and let's just take a, a, a view of this. The, the Israelites were griping in Egypt. Remember, they cried out to God, deliver us. And finally... God chose Moses to deliver the people of, of Israel out of Egypt and out of the bondage of Egypt. And as soon as they get out of the bondage of Egypt, now what is the Israelites doing? They're complaining that they're not back in Egypt. So they're complaining. Verse number 4. The Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'll rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day, that it may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. God's testing them, and what is he testing them with? We'll, we'll get to that in a minute. In verse number 3, though, I want to back up for a moment. Let's read verse number 3. It's not, it's not going to be on the screen. As soon as the Bible, you can just listen. But in verse 3, it says, And the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the, the pots of meat, and when we had ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. This hunger brings with it more than just the idea of my stomach is growling. Jesus would say, if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you will be what? Filled or satisfied. So in the context of what the nation of Israel is doing is saying, God, we are not satisfied. God, you are not enough. We hunger. We lack. 
they would repeat this over and over, wouldn't they? All the other nations have a king, and we just have God. God, you're not enough. We want a king in our presence. And how did that work out for them? And didn't God warn them, okay, I'll give you a king. And I promise you it's not going to go well. And let's just be really honest this morning that it's really easy for us to look back in the nation of Israel and call them foolish. But if we're honest with ourselves this morning, most of us are the exact same way with God. God, I don't have enough. I'm not satisfied. What you've given me is what's lacking. So in their complaint, God is not enough. We hunger, verse 4, then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day, and they may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. And it shall be on the sixth day that they shall prepare what they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. Then Moses and Aaron said to the children of Israel, At evening you shall know the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord. For he hears your complaints against the Lord. But what are we that you complain against us? Moses is reminding them, listen, when you bring your complaints to me, you're actually complaining to who? God. When you say that you're not satisfied in what you have, then what are you actually saying? Who are you not satisfied with? God. And this bread would be a reminder. What does it remind him? It said, I'm going to test you. What is God testing them? On your your bulletin, the next blank there. What he's wanting them to understand is he will provide and they will rely. He will provide, he will be their daily bread. And, And so you can read in other passages of scripture where if the Israelites were together well, I don't think one piece of manna, and, and there's the measurements in there, is enough for me. So I'm going to take two in case maybe God doesn't show up tomorrow. And what would happen when they took more than was allotted for daily provision? It would go bad. It would rotten. It would spoil. Why, why would God do that? Because God wanted them to rely on him. And, and then we just read there, so the day before the Sabbath, on the sixth day of the week, they could take, we're, we're just using this number here, two, one for today and one for the Sabbath, so they didn't have to work. And on that day, it didn't go bad. Was God in control? He was, and he is, to rely on God. You know, we as Americans, we're blessed, aren't we? The truth is, most of us in the room this morning, we don't have to rely on God every day for our bread, do we? Like, you're probably like me at some point this week, maybe last night, maybe at 9.30. You open up your pantry door, you couldn't find something you wanted to eat. How many of you like go back to the pantry door like 10 times in a day like to see what's there? Like, I'm not that. Or you open the refrigerator. I still, when I go to my mom and dad's house, go open the refrigerator. Like, what is there to eat? There's got to be something good. How many of you remember as a kid saying, Mom, what's there to eat? There's nothing good in here to eat. And the truth is, 
if you're struggling to find out what you want to eat in that pantry, you're probably not very hungry. Right? God was wanting the nation of Israel to, to completely depend on him for their sustenance, for their provision, for everything. And that's, let's, let's be honest, that's hard for us in our culture to do. Here's one of the greatest ways, I think, to judge in my life and in our lives, do I rely on God daily? About a month ago, you got, you got a report card in the mail, right? That report card is called your giving report. And for me, that giving report reveals in my life do I rely on God or not? I read it this uh, a couple weeks ago on Facebook. Somebody posted on there. I thought it was pretty interesting, and you, you may hate it. Um, but I've learned that if you hate it, it's just because you don't give. So I'm going to say it. It said this. What if, this is going to, this may test you a little bit. What if when you got that given report, whatever you gave for the whole year of 2017, what if God multiplied that by 10 and that became your salary for 2018? Would you get a raise or not? Sobering to think about, isn't it? So, so most likely there's plenty of this at home. And how can I prove to God that I rely on Him? is that I give back to him. I give of the first fruits. And I would say generosity, you know, doesn't really even begin until you start giving 10%. It's got really quiet in here. We're going to move on. The bread was a picture of God's presence and his provision. Number two, Jesus is the fulfillment of God's provision. Jesus is the fulfillment of God's provision. So turn with me to John chapter 6. I said we're going to go there. So John chapter 6, the first part of the chapter is very familiar. It's the feeding of the 5,000. Uh, and again, most scholars would say that that's 5,000 men. It's upwards to 20,000 people. Whether it's 5,000 or 20,000, it was a miracle of God, right? Uh, it, it was a miracle that he fed all these people with one little boy's lunch. And after they got done eating... Jesus is going to go up and pray. He's going to send the disciples in the boat. They're going to cross. And then a few hours later, Jesus starts walking out on the water to greet them. Hops in the boat, finishes the rest of the ride. The next morning, the people get up. They had seen the disciples get in the boat and leave. They had seen Jesus go up uh, away from the water to pray. And they ask him, how did you get over here? We didn't see you get into a boat. And that's the conversation in the first 26 verses or so of John chapter 6. Look in verse 26, though. John 6, 26. Again, they just ask, how did you get here? Where do you come from? Jesus said to them, most assuredly I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs. So, interesting, Jesus doesn't really even answer their questions. He just kind of pokes at him a little bit. 
if you have the King James, it probably says, verily, verily, or truly, truly, like, lean in. This, most assuredly, listen to me. You not, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. You're only crowding around me because you want what I can do for you. You want more bread. You want more miracles. And then he teaches, and I think this teaching is really focused to the disciples. He says, do not labor, verse 27, for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his seal on him. In other words, he would say similar in Matthew chapter 6. Don't store up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, but store treasures in heaven where moth and rust don't destroy. So this question Jesus is kind of digging in here is, what, what satisfies you? Is it? Because what he's telling them, what he's telling the crowd is, I, me personally, Jesus, the person who I am, doesn't satisfy you. It's what I can give you that satisfies you. In other words, they, uh, one, I think Robbie Gallaty put it this way, they, they were after a meal ticket, not the Messiah. They were after the provision, not the provider. The same would go as you worship the, the creation, not the creator. And, and so the question then for us is, well, what satisfies us? Is, is Jesus enough? Do we show up to church every Sunday morning just because life is good and things are great and we want more of what God can give us? We want more of those blessings? Skip down to verse number 30. They don't get what Jesus is saying, and they ask more ridiculous questions, okay? Therefore they said to him, what sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? And then they reference Moses. Our fathers ate the man in the desert as written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Well, Moses performed miracles. What are you going to do so we can believe you? And Jesus said to them, verse 32, he uses this phrase again, would be verily, verily, or truly, truly, most assuredly, listen to me when I speak. I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven. My Father gives you the true bread from heaven. There's going to be a transition here. I'm speaking of physical bread to spiritual bread. From physical provision that we can see, this bread here for our daily sustenance, to spiritual bread that he already referenced in verse 26 and 27 as eternal life. Verse 33, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So he's setting them up here to understand what he's about to say. Okay, we're, we're transitioning from the manna and Moses and the bread and the table of showbread here, physical substance, to spiritual life. 
look at that verse again, verse 33. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And who's he referencing? Verse 34, then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. And so again, this reference here is not just about feeling full in my stomach and not having a parched throat. It brings with it the idea that he who believes in me shall never hunger and never thirst. He shall be, what's the word? Satisfied. Jesus is the fulfillment of the bread, the provision of God. On your outline, you have two points there. It's just two thoughts. The, the Father provided bread for life. The Son is the bread of life. And he says, verse 35 again, I and the bread of life. It's not a physical provision, but a spiritual provision. It's not a temporal provision, but eternal provision. It's not something that we talked about. We said the Snickers bar is going to satisfy you temporarily. And what Solomon would also lean into and say, Solomon said, I tried everything the world has to offer, and nothing satisfies. It's like chasing the wind. You know, it's like, I remember as a kid, my, my mom would tell me, don't eat that, you're going to ruin your appetite. Anybody heard that before? I was always amazed. My, re my appetite recovered really quickly. I was always hungry again. When I come to Jesus, he what? He satisfies. He's the fulfillment. Remember when, G when Satan first tempted Jesus? What, what did he tempt him with? Turn the stones into what? Bread. What did Jesus say? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by what? The word of God. Who's the fulfillment of the word of God? Jesus himself. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Interesting, Bethlehem. You know, go all the way back in the Old Testament and Micah. Micah talked about the city of Bethlehem. And from Bethlehem would come the Messiah. And what does Bethlehem mean? So it literally means bread factory. Out of Bethlehem, that factory would produce what? The bread of life. God, God had a plan all along, didn't he? God wasn't surprised by Adam and Eve's sin in the garden. They had complete fellowship in the garden. Because of their sin, the fellowship was broken. So God redeemed them, revealed himself to them, so he could what? Relate to them. The same for us today. Jesus sent his son to die on the cross. And, and the word here, let's skip down to verse number 47. 
So Jesus mentions in verse 26 and 27 about eternal life. And then he mentions in verse uh, number 35, I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger and never thirst. They will be satisfied. Verse 33, for the bread of God, and this, this one he has not revealed yet, that he is the bread of God. He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Verse 47, most assuredly, he uses this phrase again. He's like, really, listen, listen, pay attention. I say to you, he who believes in me has what? everlasting life. It's the bread of life that once you taste of it, once you place your faith in it, you will have everlasting life. Forgiveness of sins, restored relationship with God, your creator. And, and who is the bread? It is Jesus. Verse 48, in case they were confused, he says what? I am the bread of life. So look, everybody look at the screen here. Verse 47. I say to you, he who believes in me, just for clarification, this is Jesus speaking. If you believe in Jesus, you have what? And then just for clarification, he says, by the way, that's me. I'm the bread of life. Your fathers ate the man in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. I'm the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give in my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the what? World. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, the bread of life, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have what? Everlasting life. The question for you is, have you placed your faith in the bread of life, Jesus? We were not redeemed by corruptible things, wood or gold, but we were redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And this morning, if you're sitting there and, and you have never placed your faith in Jesus. Why not today? He, he says, if you partake of the bread of life, you will be what? Satisfied. All these other things that you're trying to find happiness and joy and fulfillment, like the Snickers bar, they're just temporary. Jesus is what you're looking for. And can I tell you something that's even greater? Jesus came, the scripture says, to seek and to save that which was lost. So all this time you've, you're seeking, guess what he's doing? He's seeking for you. He sent his son down the cross so that you could have a home in heaven. And if you, if you would like to know more about how to give your life, how do I place my faith in Jesus Christ? In a moment, we're going to sing. In a moment, I'm going to be standing right here. There's going to be others standing here facing you. And if you would like to know how to place your faith in Jesus, to have everlasting life, then I'm going to encourage you, I'm going to challenge you to come forward this morning and ask one of us.
John 10.10, Jesus said, I came to give life, and that's what he's referencing, eternal life. I came to give life, eternal life. But I also came to give what? Abundant life. And that's speaking of life here on the earth. And so I think of many of us in the room this morning, we have tasted of eternal life, and we have given our life to Jesus Christ, and we've placed our faith in him. But, but the reality is, in our day-to-day, daily bread, we have failed to trust him. And we're trying to find the same fulfillment, the same joy, what satisfies us in temporary fulfillment. Look on your bulletin this morning, and we're almost done. The bottom of your bulletin has a question. I want you to get your pen out. If you haven't got one out, get one out now, or there's some in the pew right there. And I I want us to answer this question together this morning. I got my pen right here as well. And before you check the box or the, the line there, let me ask the question, is Jesus enough for you? And before you check it, for most of us in the room this morning, theologically, yes, I checked yes. Jesus is enough. Can I get an amen? amen. Practically in our own life in the way we live our life? I'm not sure it's so easy to check yes. So based on how you've lived this past week, if you're filled with anxiety and worry, you need to check no. If you feel like you're in control of things, or need to be in control of things, you need to check no. If you're not trusting God with your finances, you need to check no. If you're not trusting God in your relationships, you need to check no. If you're not trusting God with your kids, you need to check no. Do I need to keep going? Here's what I'm going to check. No. The the truth is, many times, in many weeks, or many days, I'm I'm chasing the Snickers bar. Matthew 6, 33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And most of the time, what we tend to do is pursue the things and hope we get Jesus. And we need to pursue Jesus and he'll take care of the things. So in a moment we're going to stand and I'm going to ask you if you like me, check no. Let's make a commitment together this morning. And, and by way of doing that, I want to ask you if you can, if you're able, to come forward this morning. Meet me at the altar here. Spend some time in prayer with God. And make a commitment. This week, I'm going to check yes. Christ, you're enough for me.
Would you stand with me as I pray? God, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that he is the bread of life. Lord, that as we partake of the bread of life, we never hunger, we never thirst again. We have eternal life. Lord, for the many of us in this room this morning, I, I pray, Lord, that we would make a commitment this morning. I'm going to seek you with everything I have because you are the only, the only thing that can satisfy. Lord, may we pursue you. Lord, if there's somebody in here in the room this morning that has never given their life to you, Lord, I pray that you would, you would convict them to come forward. Lord, that something inside of them would bring them here. They would talk to somebody about it. Lord, as a church this morning, we want to meet you at this altar. Lord, as this altar just represents your presence. God, we want to, as, as individuals, as husbands and wives, as young people, as families, as a church, we want to check yes this morning. We want to pursue you. We want to say not just theologically that Jesus is enough, but practically in every areas of our life, God, you are in control. You are sovereign. Jesus is enough. As we sing this morning, let's worship together. Let's pray together.